The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, July 21st, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and so is Kyle Boone. So it's GP, dead leg, and strong jaw. And what we're going to do today, now that we're, you know, just a, basically a week away from the 2021 NBA draft, is conduct a mock draft, picks one through 30, with the three of us rotating picks. Kyle's going to pick first because he's got the strongest jaw, then it's dead leg, then it's me. But first, before we get into it, just a, a couple more things on Jalen Duran. Ah, kidding. Ah! I'm not- <laughs> yes. I got, I got nothing new to say. So we'll just get right to the 2021 NBA mock draft. Kyle Boone, you are on the clock selecting for the Detroit Pistons. Announce your pick and explain yourself. Yeah, so with the first pick in the mock draft here, I'm going to go with Cade Cunningham, uh, six foot seven lead guard. Uh, I'll cite the stat that GP absolutely loves. I think he said this multiple times on the pod, but uh, it's from I've Synergy. Said, I've said everything I've ever said on the pod, I've said multiple times. Yeah, I'll, just, I'll credit you with everything I say. Um, Cade had 103 points in the clutch last season. That was most among all college players. Uh, the second most player had 38 fewer points than 103, uh, so 65 points. Uh, he also made a lot of clutch plays on defense last season. Um, there was one instance against Kansas. Uh, second half, the, the game was tied at 70-all. Cade had a, a shot uh, that he blocked, kind of helping off on defense. Dove out of bounds for the ball, uh, delivered a pass on a rope to a defender, which led to a transition bucket. And in OSU ended up winning that game. It was a, it was a top-10 win for them. So he's a guy that I think I just rely on and I trust to be like a really high-level NBA player. So – um, long-term, I think that this is the answer here. Kate Cunningham at number one. Can't argue with it. They're going to take him. There was a report by Jonathan Cavoni and Adrian Wojnarowski <clears throat> that a few more players were getting workouts in with the Pistons this week. But as I was told, while down uh, in North Augusta, the Pistons are taking Kate Cunningham. They're going. Yeah. So anything else is just them going through whatever process they feel like they need to go through. Cunningham has the highest floor. He's going number one. That hasn't been reported yet, but it's going to happen. So barring something stunning or a major turn of events, uh, they'll be number one. GP, you want a word in on Cade, or you want me to make this number two selection right here, right now? Well, I would just say one more thing about what the Pistons are going to do at number one. You, you guys are right. I think everybody knows it. It is almost certainly going to be Cade Cunningham. It'll be shocking if it's anybody other than Cade Cunningham. But if you're Bringing in other prospects, if you're the Pistons, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, like there's no harm in doing that. Like you get you get your eyes on them. You have a lunch and a dinner with them. Um, you you don't know where they're going to be someday, where you might be someday. And it just it, it, developing a relationship with somebody who projects 
as a possible future NBA all-star. Like if you got an opportunity to do that because of where you're selecting in the NBA draft, even if you know who you're picking and who you're not picking, like sitting down with some of these other guys is, is, you know, there's no, there's no harm and it, it could actually be beneficial somewhere down the road. I agree. All right. Number two, the, the pick seems to be clear to me, although I don't know if this is what's going to actually happen next Thursday when the draft commences at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. I got the Rockets taking Jalen Suggs at number two. Now, as we'll soon discuss, and as anyone that's listened to the pod and our draft profile uh, profile episodes that we already ran, you know the, the one, two, three, four kind of top tier here. I'm going Suggs because I think he's got the highest upside here. I think he's a tremendous athlete. At Gonzaga last season, when he ran the offense as a freshman and immediately was very, very good, he averaged 14.4 points, 5.3 boards, 4.5 assists, did have 2.9 turnovers per game, but overall 34% behind the three-point arc, 76% from the line, and then 50% from the field overall. He has all-star upside. Again, all-star upside. Rockets, I think, would immediately find themselves in a uh, in an upward trajectory with a player like Suggs on the roster. We'll see if they have the gumption to actually wind up going with him because Mobley is an interesting big. Jalen Green is considered the best offensive prospect in this draft by plenty of people. But for me, this mock draft, I'm in the number two slot. My in a lot of instances here, I'm going with the player that I think is best available. And I did hear about, by the way, real quick on that, when I was talking with some NBA evaluators down at North Augusta, we got to talking this notion about fit and draft and how guys are projecting where they get picked. And one one person in a in a front office told me, when it comes to the top ten, like with the exception of if there's clearly like a center and you don't need a center and your needs are quite obviously like in the backcourt or with some sort of athletic wing, or if there's a point guard that's very good that's available, but you already have like a top 15 point guard, that's when you might switch it up. But specifically in the top 10, you are trying to identify and add the best talent possible on your roster. And so the evaluator was just kind of saying, sometimes I think people get too caught up in this idea of trying to build mock drafts and project based off of fit. When in reality, at least in this person's opinion and perspective, it's way more like, no, you've got a, you've got a big board, you know, a one to 60, a one to 80, a one to 100. And those first 10 to 15 names on the board are the players you think are going to be best. And you're going to pick those regardless in many instances of who you have available on your team. So with that in mind, I just think Suggs has the highest upside and he's number two for me at the Rockets. It's something I've been screaming for years. Now, I don't know that Suggs is going to be taken second. I'm not sure that he should be. You know, reasonable people can disagree on that. I don't think it's crazy. Uh, you know, he, he's got all the intangibles. His coaches loved him. The athleticism is there. He's a winner. All that stuff is there. I, I don't know that he pops the way Evan Mobley pops or Jalen Green pops, but all the intangibles are there. And as we've seen over and over again for decades in the NBA, that stuff absolutely does matter. Um, the... the so if you're picking first, second, third, you should be trying to take the guy you think is going to be best. Like getting caught up in fit, you know, that's, that's how you, you don't take Michael Jordan because you've already got Clyde Drexler, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, in theory, I hear you, but boy, did you mess that one up? So, and, and you messed that one up, even though Clyde Drexler was the future hall of famer and you still got, got it wrong. So, you know, I, I didn't know until I saw it with my own eyes how Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving were going to, quote, fit together. But when they played, they were all healthy. They were awesome. The most important fit you can have 
in uh, you know in an NBA franchise is it's pairing awesome players with each other. And that that's what you're shooting for here. You're not looking for a wing because you need a wing. You're not looking for a big because you need a big. You're not looking for a guard because you need a guard. You're looking for somebody who's awesome. So if you think Jalen Suggs is going to be awesome, then that makes sense to me at number two. Number three, Cavaliers picking. I'll go with Evan Mobley, um, the, you know, Pac-12 player of the year, freshman of the year, defensive player of the year, just a near perfect. I don't want to throw out words like perfect, but a near perfect modern big prospect you know 16.4 points 8.7 rebounds you know he he blocked 2.9 shots per game in his one season at USC and what what I loved uh, about Mobley in addition to all the stuff that has been apparent with him for years in the sense that he looks like a near perfect modern big he can guard in space he can rim protect he can um, you know on the offensive end you know, pick and pop. He can play make in pick and roll situations. I think eventually he's going to be a real stretch the floor big, even if he only shot 30% uh, from three point range uh, at USC. Like that, I, I think he, I think you look up in four years and this is going to be somebody you've got to guard all the way out to the three point line because he'll, he'll kill you from there. Um, there's some one and duns in this draft who are going to be selected in the first round who were not great college players. They're just great prospects and they were good college players, maybe average college players, but the great prospects. So they'll be selected. Mobley is like Cade in the sense that he was a great college basketball player. He wasn't just a prospect. Like he went to USC and um, met all expectations, if not exceeded them. So I think anytime you can get somebody in a draft who projects you know, it has all those buzzwords like upside and potential, but also has the production. Uh, you know, we've already seen it. We're not waiting on him to be great. We've seen him be great. Um, you know, in, in a league like the Pac-12 uh, as, as a first-year player, th- th- that's those are the boxes I'm trying to check. And, and, you know, Evan Mobley, like Kate Cunningham, and I think also like Jalen Suggs, um, they were all great prospects who were also great players in their one-year of college. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, with the fourth pick in the draft, I'm going to take for the Toronto Raptors, Jalen Green, uh, six foot six guard out of uh, the G League Ignite, led the G League Ignite program last season uh, in scoring, averaged 17.9 points per game, shot 36.5% from three point range on 85 attempts. I think to me, he's the most polished scorer in this draft. Uh, he's got great size for a wing, really good athleticism. The way he separates um, from defenders at his age and can create his own shot uh, is next level. That's why I have him number two uh, on my on my own personal big board. I think just long term, uh, he's a guy to me who can be like a scoring champion in the NBA. Just a guy who can create his own shot at a really high level um, and and can lead your team in scoring. So that type of upside to me from the guard position uh, is obviously really valuable. That's why I'm taking him at number four. Yeah. I, I think there's a decent chance here that green goes number two on draft night, but we'll see. I think that's, and Boone, you've done so much really, really, really good work uh, on the site on HQ with, with mock draft stuff. Just before I get to my fifth pick, a, a quick, like, what do you think one through four? Like we all agree. Kate's going to go one, but if you mm-hmm. had to, Throw the darts at the board and say your best guess of what actually comes to be one through four next Thursday. How do you think it'll order out? I think it goes Cade, Mobley, Green, Suggs in that order. Um, Mobley's the guy that like 
everyone I talked to, they, they kind of mentioned like, Ooh, you know, like Cade's number one, but are we sure like Mobley's not the actual guy, you know, like, I think Mobley is definitely like the second best prospect in this draft. Now I think the question is like, if you're the Rockets, do you want to build around a big man? I think that's more like a philosophical question. Like that's why I would probably take Jalen green just because the scoring upside, like with the way the NBA is now, I would probably just lean green, but I think Mobley goes number two, um, green to the Cavaliers, you know, like the Cavs obviously have a pretty loaded backcourt, like fit wise, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but you're picking at number three. Like you want to take the guy with the highest upside and then, um, Suggs at number four would make a lot of sense. Um, I, just, just a winner. Yeah. I, I would bet that it goes K Cunningham one and then Mobley and green in some order. I, I could, yeah. I could imagine that in either order. And then after that, you know, we're sort of, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're dealing with Jalen Suggs, Scotty Barnes, Jonathan Kaminga after those first three, mm-hmm. you know, then, then I, you know, I, I, there's a lot of reasonable ways it could go. I'll be surprised if the first three players taken aren't K Cunningham, Evan Mobley and Jalen green in some order. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. I've got the magic at five. I'm going to go Scotty Barnes here. He's number three on my big board. Uh, tremendous defender, really good length, 19 years old, solid freshman season at Florida state. Uh, stands 6'9", 225, really nice wingspan. The issue is the shooting, but honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if we look up in five years and Scotty Barnes is, he was 27.5% on 40 attempts only last season under uh, under Leonard Hamilton's watch. If he's a 35% three-point shooter in five years, I won't be remotely surprised. I think that the overall development uh, of players at the NBA level and uh, the infrastructure on a, franchise-by-franchise basis, really allows a lot of these guys, if they want to put the work in, to become better shooters there. And I think that Scotty Barnes has that. I just love his I love his floor. I, I, I think that he is going to be a top 20-level defender by the end in the NBA by the end of his first contract there. If you're the Orlando Magic, you've kind of perpetually been in this spot where you're always picking between like 5 and 10 every single year. Can you break out of this vicious cycle? Barnes is not an offensively dynamic player that's going to break you out of that, but why not draft someone with with a near impeccable reputation at this point heading into the draft, really reliable defensively, sees the floor well, can distribute, great vision. I've got the Magic taken, Scotty Barnes, number five. I set um, at the EYBL event in North Augusta for a game with Stan Jones, the longtime assistant coach at Florida state with Leonard Hamilton. And we talked about a million different things, but among them, Scotty Barnes. And he said two things that, that, you know, sort of stuck with me. A he's, he, he's a more competent shooter than he showed and B to the extent that he needs to improve. And and he does, um, he'll put the work in like, this is not somebody you got to drag to the gym. Like you said, near impeccable reputation. I, you know, the, I've never heard a bad word about him. Great teammate, great worker, loves to compete, loves to win. The, the floor is super duper high. I think I said on a previous podcast, you know, barring injuries, this is a guy who, even if he never becomes a shooter, is going to be in the NBA for a decade. And if he does become a shooter, you know, now we got all-star potential. So he, he's certainly in, in the conversation to go, you know, maybe as high as three, four, but going fifth through the Orlando Magic, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, sixth, Oklahoma City is a picking and I'll go with Jonathan Kaminga. He is the other elite G league ignite prospect. You know, the thunder are in a total rebuild so they can afford to take big swings and probably ought to be taking big swings, you know, in, in this draft and in future drafts. And, and Kaminga is, 
you know, arguably at this point, the, the biggest swing you can take. Just a prospect with tremendous upside, big, strong, athletic, explosive in transition, great defensive potential, you know, the swing skill. And by the way, let's stop here for a second. When did swing skill become the buzzword? I don't, I don't think I ever heard that three years ago, but now I read it every other day. When did that happen? Uh, who's to say? I mean, is that the new, is that like the uh, the liquid hips at the NFL draft combine level? <laughs> yeah, I love these terms, man. Something new. Every fluid season. hips. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd ever heard the, the, the term swing skill as it pertained to a draft prospect three years ago. But now, like, you can read it all. I use it myself now. I, I like it. So the swing skill as they say, is obviously the three-point shot. He only shot around 25%, um, you know, below 30%, you know, in the, in the G League. So is he going to be a, a big wing non-shooter? Because that's, that's one thing. Or is he going to be a big wing super athlete who can actually shoot? That's another thing. You know, that's the difference between, you know, making $75 million and making $375 million. So uh, we'll, we'll see. But if I'm Oklahoma City, I am, I'm taking a big swing with, with this pick. And based on the way our mock draft has unfolded, Kaminga, in my opinion, is, is the biggest swing you can take. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, with the seventh pick in, the, in this mock draft, the Warriors are going to select Davion Mitchell from Baylor, six foot three lead guard. Uh, was the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year last season? He was nicknamed Off Night by Scott Drew, which, um, as Drew put it last season, people tend to have off nights against him just because he's such an elite defender. Uh, just a guy that you kind of want on your team. He's he's a win now type of player for the Warriors. I think he can ease some shot creation burden for Stephen Curry. Um, and to me, just in terms of, of fit, Golden State, I think he fits just kind of their timeline. He's a little bit of an older prospect, um, but in terms of his ability to, I think, compete at a high level right away, he gives them a really good chance to kind of continue to open that championship window in Golden State. Obsessed with basketball. So I with yeah. Scott Drew uh, down at the Nike EYBL event. And I promise, at least on my end, I'm not going to reference. Parrish and I have no reference. Like, but we just got back. So we talked to a lot of the coaches or people either scouting these players or coach these players. But I happened to talk with Scott Drew. GP was right there with me in the, in the lobby of where, uh, one of the hotels where the coaches stay. And, and Drew was saying just a, a maniac when it comes to film study. He's like, if there was a basketball right now, he could not help himself. He'd pick it up. He'd like He'd start like... He started working out right there, just completely dedicated to the craft. The question is, can he be consistent enough at the next level with the shot there? Seems like top 10 is an inevitability with Davion Mitchell, which speaks to just how huge of a year he had. I mean, being that important of a player and a leader on a national championship winning team is a very big deal. I'm, I'm next. Glad you, I'm glad you recalled all that. Our Scott Drew in the lobby conversation was midnight-ish? Yeah, I have a hard time remembering those late night conversations. Sometimes at the on, on, on I was I was lucid, so I was able to uh, to recall all of it. But yes, it was a very productive conversation. We talked about Mr. Mitchell for about ten or fifteen minutes or so. You guys ready for a curveball here? Yeah. Okay. To this. Number eight, Zaire Williams. I got the magic again, by the way. I'm going Zaire Williams because he's high on my draft board. Okay, so I, this was a complete big board selection. He had an up and down season last season for many reasons. Stanford had just a, a brutal COVID situation set up where they weren't even allowed to practice and live in their own county. They had to they had to live outside of it. Games canceled left and right. He dealt with a, a death in his family. But I think 
I think he is going to be a player that we look up in three or four years and say, wait, where did he go to college? Because I barely remember him even being in college. But his athleticism, ability to create as a long wing, 6'9", with a 6'10 wingspan, really, really high-level athlete, super smart player. He's not going to go eighth. I'm putting him eighth because if I was the Magic and he was there after all these other players, one through seven, had been taken, I would take Zaire Williams. He'll be a little bit of a project in year one or two, but I love his development potential and his ultimate ceiling there. So you want a little something special on the pod, something a little different, not groupthink? We've got it here. Zaire Williams out of Stanford. You heard it here first. He'll wind up being a top 10 player in this draft when we look up a decade from now. You know, if you would have had him top 10 a year ago, nobody would have blinked. It's only because of, you know, what happened in his one year of college basketball. And so, you know, as somebody who puts out a, a mock draft and looks at other mock drafts and, and, and has Twitter mentions, you know, when, when, you're, when you're not in line with other mock drafts, that's when people start screaming and yelling like, oh, this is stupid, or oh, you're crazy. And the truth is, if you watch any NBA draft, like, I, I'll, I'll, you know, it, it does, you know, in places go true to form, but there's always something wild that happens. You know, there's Cam Johnson, you know, going where he went in his draft. Like, no mock draft had him going that high. And it, he wasn't even was invited to the green room when he went that high. Yeah. Um, um, who's another one? Jalen Smith last year. Jalen Smith, Emmanuel quickly last yeah. year. Like, yeah. you know, you, so the, the, just because a mock draft has Zaire, nobody has Zaire Williams in the top 10 doesn't mean that a, he might not go in the top 10 or B that he won't prove to be a top 10 prospect. That's the other thing. And I have to remind myself of this sometimes, um, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo went 15th in a draft. If you would have put a mock draft together that year that had him going third, you'd have been called an idiot. Oh, except, yeah. you would have been a, except you would have been a genius. Yes. And so just, just keep that in mind. I, like, Would I take Zaire Williams eighth? No, I don't think so. But I, I don't think it's crazy for somebody else to do it. Yeah. Um, ninth pick, Sacramento Kings. I'm going to go James Booknight. You're not going to believe this. I sat with Dan Hurley the other day. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but didn't talk about book night at all. We just talked about other things, but uh, we did a, uh, an episode on him in recent weeks, natural score, you know, great athlete moves incredibly well without the ball. Um, he only, you know, you know, he shot a poor percentage from three in college. And that is, that's the knock like, okay, he's a creative score and boy, he had this one great game. But, you know, can he be a reliable shooter? If not, is he really worth a top 10 pick? And by all accounts, you get him in a gym, he, he makes the shots. You know, in his, you know, at the combine, he made the shots. In workouts, he's done a lot, I'm told, to alleviate concerns about his three-point shot. And if you don't have concerns about his three-point shot, then I think he's a top 10 pick in, in this draft. He has had some injury stuff in high school and in, in college, but you know, he's healthy now and there's nothing that's happened to him from an injury perspective that um, projects as a long-term concern. So if you believe in James Booknight as a shot maker, then you believe in James Booknight as, as a top 10 pick. So ninth, the Sacramento Kings, they, you know, it makes sense to me. Real quick, KP, before you hop in, I do want to, I, I, I'm going to really try and stop doing this, but I, I sat with one scout last week, and they said, and I won't reveal the team, obviously, but they said, James Booknight came and worked out for us, and it was the best individual workout I had seen in at least five years. Like, And these guys see 
just so many players. And so this is why, like, we've got Book Night here nine overall. I think James Book Knight is the is the sleeper goes number five on draft night because yeah. his his draft workouts have been getting. Uh, and, and I don't like to put too, too much stock in it. But when someone says that, like, you see all of these players hop in. They're like, Book Knight was absolutely insane when he did that. He came into the – it was just – it was the best. There, It's not even close. So keep that in mind here. Uh, I'd, I would be surprised if he goes as low as nine uh, next Thursday. Yeah, and I think we have to remember, too, that the injury that he had was during the season. He had surgery on his elbow, came back, and he was much less efficient just in terms of him, him shooting the ball. Um and two, like he was shouldering a pretty significant load for UConn, taking a lot of contested shots, like a lot of late shot clock um, uh, attempts. And so I think, yeah, I think that's right. Like Book Knight is a guy who's rising uh, pretty quickly and impressing a lot of teams. Uh, number 10, I'm going to go draft for the Pelicans, Corey Kispert from Gonzaga, uh, six foot seven wing. I think he's the guy that you probably least want to play horse against in this draft, just like the best pure shooter in the draft. Um, shot 43.8% from three, two seasons ago, 44% from three last season, um, 95th percentile. This is according to synergy, um, in spot up shooting last season to me, I think he's just a really good fit on a team that has Zion Pelicans were the fifth worst in the NBA last season in, in three point shooting percentage. And so, yeah, like on a team that needs shooters and floor spacers, Kispert is exactly that. Yeah, I love his potential there, and he, sh- in my opinion, he should go top ten. I, I don't have a good feel on where he's going to go, but I love his uh, his shooting potential. Again, super high floor, going to be an NBA player for ten years. Let's go. Eleven. I'm um, with the Hornets. I'm going to go with Keon Johnson now. Whereas with Zaire Williams, that was a, a spot on my big board, and I put him high. This is more of me trying to project Keon Johnson's range, and it's feeling more and more. Like for Keon, it's going to be in like that 10 to 13 range overall. Um, Extremely good athlete. Set the record for highest standing vertical in the history of the NBA combine. Out of Tennessee, about 6'5", 185 pounds. Um, Been getting really solid feedback overall. I don't know if he is really a top 12 prospect in this draft. But it seems like, and this could be a classic case of, let's see if this actually is real. But I, I... in, in the past week or so, I've just been getting indications like, yeah, you know, Keon seems like he is going in that direction. Like, he should be a guy that goes in the lottery. Uh, and so he very, mel- very well may do that. I think from a fit perspective here, specifically with the Hornets, he would make an ideal fit. That might That is already like one of those, t- you know, the NBA diehards, some of whom are obviously listening to this, but many of them are uh, are more college basketball oriented. You've got this whole league pass alert kind of you know life that people live in that November, December, January, February before we really get to the end of the season. And Keon Johnson going to the, the Hornets would make the Hornets, I think, like a top three league pass alert team. They're already super fun with LaMelo. you got Miles Bridges on that group. Adding him to the mix, I think, would be, uh, would be a terrific addition. We all send messages nonstop connected to work. Text, emails, checking in on projects, brainstorming for ideas. No matter what kind of work you do, communication is key. And Grammarly, it can really help you. Because Grammarly, it's your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so that you can make a bigger impact at work. If you lack confidence in your writing... Grammarly can fix that, and it can also make you more efficient in your day-to-day. Did you realize that 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing? It's true. So it's time for you to make a bigger impact at work 
with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Wings for the game? Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey? Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's going to take the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cash back debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. With the 12th pick, San Antonio Spurs, I'll go Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky. Um, you know, the, the Spurs, once LaMarcus Aldridge um, was accepted a buyout and then subsequently retired, they, they don't have much in their front court and they have no really impressive young talent in their front court. So Isaiah Jackson, you know, checks that box, top shelf athlete, elite shot blocker, rim protector. You know, he can rim run, catch lobs. He is still mostly otherwise limited offensively. So that's a concern. The defensive fundamentals, you know, for as great as he can be on that end of the court in the sense of he, he creates a lot of highlights. You know, he'll pin a ball on the backboard. The defensive fundamentals aren't quite where you'd like them to be, but there's just a lot of natural stuff to work here. I mean, he, he can he can run, he can jump, he blocks shots, dunks everything. A lot of a lot of work to do. You're betting you're betting a little bit on the come here, but there's a lot of stuff to work with. And if you're the Spurs, um, not that you should prioritize adding front court help, but if you necessarily but if you if you want to try to add an impressive young talent to your front court Isaiah Jackson you know is certainly an option that they could consider you know late in the lottery yeah yeah it sounds like the Spurs are at least looking pretty pretty uh hard at maybe adding someone in the front court Alpern and Sangoon is an interesting uh option here at number 12 Uh, I like the Isaiah Jackson pick. Uh, with the 13th pick, the Pacers select Michigan's Franz Wagner, six foot nine forward from uh, from Michigan, top notch defensive player. He could switch and, and play multiple positions. I like his size at six foot nine. I think he has just high level role playing potential. A guy who I think is going to be you know a, a three and D type of player in the NBA. To me, he's like a safe high floor prospect. Um, Shot just under 35% from three uh, last season. He's already played two college basketball seasons, and he's still only 19 years old. So I think there's a lot of improvement here for him uh, to develop and, and be a really good NBA player, too. All right, and with the 14th pick, the final one of the lottery, the Golden State Warriors here, I've got him going to take Io DeSumo. Now, he's a classic case. We've seen it now. Three straight years. He clearly gets better. Freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior, one of the three or four best players in college basketball last season. And the way that I defined him in my mock draft that published earlier in July is he's not an A-level anything as an NBA player right now, but in my opinion, he's a B-minus to B-plus in everything. I don't think he has a glaring, this is why we can't draft him, outright vulnerable weakness. And he's an incredible, by uh, by all accounts, incredible teammate, really good locker room guy, complete buy-in, a plus in your locker room and with your franchise, your organization, if you take him there. 
you know, once you're in this spot, KB, GP, you just want to draft someone. It doesn't even necessarily have to be, and it won't be usually, like someone that's going to start for you in year one, maybe not even year two. Just get someone who is going to be a net positive for your organization, and if he can be the first, second, or third guy off the bench, or even as a rookie, fourth or fifth guy, see if you can just get someone that's going to click. And if you're the Warriors and Io DeSumo, good. I mean, come on now. That is that is a wonderful fit. So I go with him there in that spot. With the 15th pick, uh, the Washington Wizards, I'll go Moses Moody out of Arkansas. Just a great 3 and D prospect. He was tremendous as an 18-year-old freshman in the SEC. Averaged 17 points, 6 rebounds, shot 36%. Uh, from three and, and helped Arkansas get to the elite eight of the NCAA tournament. Dead leg, you remember for the first time since 96. Look at you. Although he was not, if we're being fair, uh, tremendous in the NCAA tournament, but still he was a tremendous 18 year old freshman. And uh, honestly, like I'm not sure he'd be on the board uh, next week at 15, but if I'm Washington and I can get this type of three and D prospect with the 15 pick, I feel real good about it because to your point, uh, Norlander, you know, you'd love to get a star with every time, you know, every, every time you select somebody, but the truth is, you know, back into the lottery or just outside of the lottery, if you hit on somebody who's going to be a rotation player for you for a long time, like that's a good pick. You, you've, you've, you've done well for yourself. And so um, I'd be thrilled if I could get Moses Moody at 15, if I'm Washington. Yeah. Number 16, the Thunder are going to select uh, Josh Giddy from the NBL. He's a six foot eight wing. Uh, I think he's the most creative passer in the draft. He led the NBL last season at 18 years old in assist. He finished the league um, sixth in rebounding. He's got really good size to play on the wing. I think he can be kind of like a secondary playmaker in the NBA. I think there's maybe some concern about the shot. He shot below 30% from three last season. Um, but everything else I think kind of checks out. And I, I, I'm kind of a sucker for big playmakers. Uh, I really like Denny Avdia last year in the draft. So Giddy to me at number 16, I will, uh, I will take him for the Thunder here. I've got, I've got, I've got Parrish's Grizzlies right here. Seventeen. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you who I'm gonna pick, and then Parrish is gonna tell me if he thinks this is a this is a worthwhile fit. I don't think he'd go this high with this player, but I I do think easily he will be a top seventeen player in this in this draft class, and that's Villanova's Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He is you know six nine. 6'9 power forward, who I I think is a top five, and Jay Billis believes is a top five defender in this draft. Uh, quality passer. Uh, I think it's clear that he's going to be taken lower than perhaps he should because um, his fortes are a soft mid-range jump shot, can work the post a bit, and he's he's okay from the perimeter, but there's, there's plenty of room for growth there. But... High IQ player, unquestionably, was Villanova's best player last season. And if he can get the shot just better, 28% from three, not ideal, but 57% from two and a solid foul shooter, uh, really good rebounder at both ends, which is not always the case with with guys who are, you know, in that 6'9 realm. Um, he, can, he can rebound about at the same rate on defense and offense for what you're going to ask him to do. And he doesn't make a lot of bad decisions. I think he is a, a really good spot here. And to me, you see his game, his stature, what he brings. And I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if he's not in at least two contracts in the NBA. He's built for it. Parrish, what do you think about that fit for Memphis? 
It's it's not who I would take, but I do like Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He, he, he strikes me as somebody now um, who will will murder you from 15 feet, but can't really hurt you from 24. And so, you know, if he can ever stretch that, this is a game I watched early last season where it felt like he made 11 mid-range jumpers in a row. It was one of those holiday turn. You might've been there, Norlander. It might've been uh, at the Mohegan Sun, but like he just, just popping them, popping them, popping. I was like, man, this guy's automatic. And, but like, you know, the mid-range game is the least emphasized part of offensive basketball in the NBA. Now it doesn't mean that it can't be valuable, but you know, you'd, you'd much rather have a, a six, nine forward who can bury you from 24 feet as opposed to 15 feet. Um, but I, I like Jeremiah Robinson Earl and I, I like the track record of Villanova players. So if the Grizzlies were to end up with him, um, I, I would not do a thumbs down necessarily 18th pick Oklahoma city thunder picking for the 400th time in the top 20. Um, I'm going to go with another big swing. Jalen Johnson out of Duke. And he's probably a guy who would have, you know, if we'd have fast forward from last offseason to the 2021 NBA draft and let nothing happen in between, he might have been a top 10 pick. Um, but he did not, uh, his college experience was not ideal. Um, you know, he, he started tremendously, you know, had a big statistical game. But then they couldn't win with him. And then his playing time got limited. And then he quit. And you know, I know it's controversial to say that, but it's also the truth. Like, he quit. He quit his basketball team. Uh, and, and, you know, th- that was one of the things that bothered me about the James Wiseman experience. And, you know, it, it, I don't know that James Wiseman was a disappointment in Golden State because he quit the team at Memphis. But James Wiseman was a disappointment at Golden State, and he did quit the team at Memphis. So the track record, at least the recent track record on that kind of stuff, is is not great. But he's still a great athlete, wing with size. He did shoot 44% from three in um, those limited games at Duke, but it was also unlimited attempts. He only took like 1.4 per game. So what does that even mean? And he shot... 63% from the free throw line. So that, that's not encouraging. But, you know, if you're Oklahoma City and you're in a total rebuild and you're going, hey, let's try to take somebody who we think can really become something special, then maybe Jalen Johnson is, is somebody you consider here. Love it. Uh, with the 19th pick, the Knicks are going to select Jaden Springer from Tennessee. Uh, love Springer's game, the combo guard. The Knicks offense was uh, a sore spot in the postseason, I think to say the least, I would imagine addressing the guard spot in this draft seems almost necessary. Uh, Springer averaged 12 and a half points and 2.9 assists per game. He made 43.5% of his three point attempts. He has a little bully ball to his game. It reminds me a little bit of, of drew holiday. Uh, just, just a really solid defender, kind of a natural scorer, can create his own offense. A guy that I think is going to be a really solid two-way guard in the NBA. So uh, to me, that's really good value. I like his upside in the NBA at number 19. I think he addresses a need for the Knicks. I've got the Hawks at 20. And you know who I got here? Shooter, 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 shooter. Cam Thomas out of LSU. Uh, Like, shooting guard. That is his possession. He's He's not a combo. He's not a lead. He's not a wing. He is a shooting guard. That is what he does. He's 6'5". He has been a very, very good shooter of the basketball since he was like 14, 15 years old. Now, his teams haven't traditionally, this goes beyond even LSU, where they were good, but his teams traditionally haven't been uh, exceedingly good in winning teams. But he averaged 23 with LSU last season. He's an 88% foul shooter, um, 33% from the three-point line, and 41% from, f- from the field overall. Now, those are not amazing 
numbers. It's kind of similar to the book night deal, but Cam Thomas is not going to be a top 10 pick because of the fact that he all too often takes the wrong shots. He he's like he's good at making tough shots. His range is the only player I think that has better actual range in this draft is Kispert. I think that Cam Thomas is like 26, 27 feet, confident, will let it fly, and the idea that he'll be playing alongside Trey Young is very entertaining. So I picked it with yeah. uh, with some intention here. Uh, if he was simply even a little bit competent defensively, which he's not, and if he was a better decision maker when he gets the ball on the shots he takes, he would be a no-doubt-about-it top 10 player in this draft. But he's not. He's just not there yet. If he, if if an, an NBA franchise can rein that in, Cam Thomas will be a top three or four scorer in this draft, and could easily, if he gets it together, I mean, I mean, easily average north of twenty in the NBA. So I'll take a little bit of a risk there, and I'll put him at twenty. Twenty-first pick. I got that one. It's the New York Knicks. I'll go with an international prospect, Alperin Shengun uh, from Turkey. He is a traditional big. Um, more than a modern big. So like you'll never confuse him with Evan Mobley. Great in the low post, um, can catch it at the elbow, score, play, make, pass, incredible rebounding instincts, just gets the balls. Like statistically um, incredible as an 18-year-old in Turkey and was the Turkish League MVP as an 18-year-old. So from a production standpoint, um, He's historically great for an international prospect. And that's why I think there's some teams that might take him in in, in the top 10. There, there's probably a better chance of him going inside of the top 15 than there is outside of the top 20. But the way this shook out, he's outside of the top 20. If you're looking for some possible problem areas, a um, little undersized, not a great athlete, you know, slow feet, you know, can he guard in space? Will he get played off the floor? That kind of stuff. All, all the things that you might be concerned about with bigs, with the way the NBA is played um, today. You know, like the, 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 the Bucks just won a, a championship by winning four straight games and had to totally adjust how they were guarding Phoenix after game one because they had a big that couldn't guard in space. And so like they, they can't, so they, they had to change everything after game one based on, their bigs were getting destroyed in in ball screens. And so would would he be somebody who is a liability, you know, in space, you know, trying to guard, you know, ball screens? Maybe, but there's a lot of other stuff that's there to like. And, you know, he, he would have a chance to be really, really good for a long time with that Knicks organization. At number 22 overall, the Lakers are going to select uh, Oregon's Chris Duarte. Uh, just turned 24 years old, which is ancient in draft years. He's the oldest prospect in this draft. But he's the safest bet to me, I think, in this draft to be like an instant impact role player. Um, I think that's perfect for what the Lakers are looking for, exactly what they need. Just a great shooter. Shot uh, 42.4% from three at Oregon last season. 63.1% on two-point shots. Has really good size at six foot six. Adds great defense. All around, just a solid player who can be, a, I think, a major impact for any contender, really, and especially for a team like the Lakers, who, who need, you know, wing depth and, and someone who can some add some shooting and some defense. Duarte is... Uh, I, I think Parrish and I are on the same exact page with him. Um clearly NBA level player athlete. We've got him 22 here to me. 
of all the guys we've talked about so far to this point in the in the in the mock, I'd say Duarte, Jalen Johnson, and Moses Moody. To me, those are the three guys we've discussed who are the toughest to actually nail down in terms of where where their window is, how far they're going to go. Maybe their spectrum is as wide as it can be. Duarte's got no business, in my opinion, dropping below 20. I guess I could see it happening, but he is an intriguing player all the same. And with the 23rd pick, I'm going to pick for the Rockets again. I'm going to stay in state and go with Kai Jones, a two-year player with the Texas Longhorns. Kind of a classic example of a, of a guy with a lot of Tantalizing upside, 6'11", 220, you know, awesome rim runner, quality defender, can shoot it decently enough. I mean, he only took 34 attempts with the Longhorns this past season, but shot 38% from three, which is why he's, in my opinion, a, a lock to go inside the top 25, but just played 54% of, uh, of the available minutes under Shaka Smart last season. So I, I do think he's got really, really solid Potential, shoots it well from the mid-range, pick-and-pop player. Uh, if you need him to play the five or the four, he'll be able to do that. Rockets at this spot, I like it. Seems to be a good fit, but he's one of those classic talented big men, long, all that. Will we look up in three, five, seven years, and is he just, is he a jag? Is he in the league? Is he, you know, a top four player on his own team? Hard to say, but the potential's there, and he will certainly, definitely be picked in the, somewhere in the top 25. Jag sounds like a racial slur, by the way. It's just another guy, just so we're clear on that. I know. I'm just telling you what it sounds okay. like. Okay. <laughs> there was a show named Jag, early 2000s, on America's Most Watched Network. Sounds like a racist show. Okay. <laughs> it, was about, it was about pilots, just so we're clear on that. Who you racist got? Pilots. Racist pilots. Okay. Mm. 24. Sad. GP's going to describe uh, Jalen Duran from now on. Oh, boy. I love I, I, – well, well, in the, in the NBA, he might not, – not right now and not in college, but in the NBA, could I see him becoming just another guy? I, I could certainly see that. Either way, that's a podcast for another day. Rockets on the clock again, 24th pick. Um, I'll go with Trey Mann out of Florida, and I love the Trey Mann story. You know, so often – you know, guys who are McDonald's All-Americans, five-star prospects coming out of high school, they almost make up their mind. Like, I'm, I'm going one year of college, then I'm gone. Whatever that looks like. B.J. Boston's probably an example of that right now. I, I don't think B.J. Boston should have left school, but he was a projected lottery pick coming out of high school, and he just decided at some point he's only going to do one year. So he did one year, wasn't great, and now he's in the draft, and is he going to get picked? I mean, maybe, but probably not in the first round, and, and, and maybe not at all. He, he could have probably helped himself by coming back to school. To be clear, I don't care what he does. He can do whatever he wants. I'm not one of those that tries to shame, you know, 19-year-olds for making misguided, possibly misguided decisions. Like, I'm worried about my sons. I don't, I don't spend much time worrying about other people's. He can do whatever he wants. I just wonder if he wouldn't have benefited from coming back to school the way Trey Mann benefited coming back to school. That's the point. Coming out of high school, McDonald's All-American was supposed to be among the reasons Florida was going to be a top 10 team, Final Four contender. He wasn't anything close to that type of player, and Florida wasn't anything close to that type of team. There was some thought that he would leave anyway either transfer or just enter the draft for better or worse. But he decides to come back to Gainesville for a sophomore season. He grew 
two inches, like went from 6'3 to 6'5, and then became a competent three-point shooter. So now he's a guard with size who shoots a good percentage from three. Th- those guys make money in the NBA. He, he helped himself probably as much as anybody by, by returning for a sophomore year uh, of college. And the fact that he grew a couple of inches – between his freshman and sophomore years of college suggests that maybe he's still growing. Like, is this somebody who's going to end up six, seven, six, eight? I mean, I doubt it. I doubt it, but you know, it's at least on the table. Um, he's not an explosive athlete, but he's got enough stuff to his game. You know, st- you know, he made a famously made a step back three at the buzzer in the NCAA tournament. Like he can make that shot. And so if, if you're looking for, Guards with size who can make perimeter shots. At this point in the draft, Trey Mann is 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 a certainly sensible option. Yeah, at number twenty five for the Los Angeles Clippers, I will select Usman Garuba, uh, six foot eight big man out of Real Madrid. Uh, maybe the most NBA ready defensive player in this draft. Just a tad undersized at six foot eight. Uh, has a seven foot two wingspan. I think he's plenty mobile. Uh, I think he's really versatile. Can guard kind of from the post to the perimeter. Not totally polished on offense, but I think he's someone that if you're the Clippers, you could probably close with him in crunch time just because of his defensive versatility. I think that's big for LA. Um, at number twenty five, I think this is pretty good value. This is a guy that I think could go in the lottery in this draft. The idea of the Clippers adding him to their defensive profile. He is a very, you know, clearly I'm only going off of scouting reports and having watched a little bit of his tape, but the idea that the Clippers who are already one of the best defensive teams in the league, adding him is it's just, it's just scary. So I actually like that pick from you a lot, KB. And it's, by the way, it's great to have you on this podcast. I'm, I'm loving our, uh, our three man uh, operation here long overdue and hope everyone at home is enjoying the great insights from one Kyle Boone. So I am up next, and I've got the Nuggets at 26. I'm actually going to go with back-to-back Texas guys here. I'm going to take Greg Brown in this spot. I don't think that he's going to wind up going first in the first round next Thursday, but Greg Brown is such an impressive and dominating athlete when he wants to be. I would rank him I would rank him easily in the top five or six athletes in this draft. Can finish through contact, supreme verticality, both ends, straight up good shot blocker, fairly disciplined. He is limited overall. Like his entire repertoire of what he brings to the table as an NBA player, it's not that varied at this point. Uh, He just had no choice but to go, I think. He's 19, averaged 9.3 points and 6.2 boards last season. One block per game. Shot 33% from three, 42% from the field, 71% from the line. Take a chance. He could hit. I mean, he's a, if the, if he did go 26 to the Nuggets, he's not gonna he wouldn't rank in the top 10 in minutes on that team next season. But maybe a player like Greg Brown, who just had some up and down spurts at Texas, maybe he needs a spot like this. He'll be an interesting one to see where he lands and what franchise he goes to because I think there are some spots where he's more set up to thrive versus others. But I'll, uh, I'll take a flyer on him. I think that in terms of upside, there's no doubt about it. First round talent. So now we get the Brooklyn Nets on the clock at 27. And I'll take Jared Butler out of Baylor, the reigning most outstanding player of, of the final four. Um, we talked earlier about not really prioritizing fit at the top of any draft. And I think we all agree on that. I don't know if we all agree on this, but um, 
from my perspective, if you are Brooklyn or Phoenix or Milwaukee, you know, teams that are built for now. And we don't know what it's going to look like. I think Milwaukee's got Stanley. It looks like Giannis is going to be there for a long time. They're going to be fine for a long time. But, you know, who knows what Brooklyn's going to look like three years from now or, or you know, what Phoenix is going to look like two years from now. And so if you're trying to, to, to okay, we were, we, we were almost there, you know, this season. Let's make a run, a run at it next season. Then I, I, I sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes would lean toward, taking somebody who I think can help. And I think Jared Butler can help. He can play as a rookie for a contender. He can play on or off the ball. Um, he is a reliable and proven and established shooter. And maybe the happiest or best draft news that you know came out over the past week was that the NBA has cleared him medically to, you know, be a member of an NBA franchise because he got flagged, which is the same reason, you know, our, our colleague at, at CBS Sports, uh, HQ, Avery Johnson, signed Jared Butler coming out of high school. He was going to Alabama. He enrolled at Alabama, but Alabama wouldn't clear him to play because of a, a heart condition. And the NBA flagged it initially, but he now has, um, he, he's good to go. And I'm not suggesting that no NBA franchise will be still be, you know, you can be cleared by the NBA and, and some franchise still say, but we're not comfortable with this. Like their personal doctors or, or their franchise doctors just say, you know, we're not comfortable with this or we're concerned about long-term issues, whatever, for any reasons that any doctors with any franchise might flag somebody else. So th- there's a chance that could come into play, but it is encouraging at least that uh, the NBA has cleared him. And, and once he gets cleared, I think he's a first-round pick. And if you are a Brooklyn team that's got all the star power you need in James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, you need to surround them with, with you know, role players who can make shots and keep the floor spaced. And, and Jared Butler, I think, is ready to do that immediately. Yep. Uh, at number 28 overall, I will be selecting for the Philadelphia 76ers. And um, – at this point in the draft, I'm going to try and address need as opposed to just taking the best player available. And to me, that's Bones Highland, uh, six foot three VCU guard. Look, Philly lacks a lot of offensive power that was kind of exposed in the playoffs. And I think Bones can give them kind of that dynamic. He went for 17 points, uh, five boards, and four assists in his first com- uh, combine game, averaged uh, just under 20 points per game last season at VCU. Shot 37.1% from the three-point line. He won A-10 Player of the Year um, last season, as you would know, GP, the Master of Ceremonies. Uh, just a, a microwave scorer who can make shots all over the floor and I think is a, is a really good fit uh, for, for a team like Philly. I, you know what? That's an interesting uh, selection there. And Bones Highland is obviously a player that many college basketball fans probably didn't get a ton of eyes on. VCU didn't even get to play in the NCAA tournament because they had a few positive tests, which prompted them to be removed from eligibility. And just the nature of VCU season last season with COVID, you know, just halts here and there in that league. Uh, he is something of a, something of a, maybe not quite a hidden gem, but he, he certainly could wind up being better than some people might think him to be, and I think that's an interesting one. I'm going to go in 29 here. My final pick in this mock draft episode, 29 spot with the Phoenix Suns, who just came up short, uh, losing 4-2 to the Bucks. of course. I'm going to go with Alabama's Herb Jones. 
He was a finalist, one of the four finalists for National Defensive Player of the Year. He is he's got great great uh, measurements. He's standing about six nine wingspan, six foot six foot eight with a seven foot wingspan. There, he Nate Oates allowed him to truly expand his game, and he did in a big way. Before this past season, Herb Jones was you know a twenty. 6-25% three-point shooter in for his first three seasons. He was 35% this season on 57 attempts. That was by far the most he had ever taken. And he's not a, you know, a knockdown, surefire perimeter shooter, but there's enough there. And then when you consider how disciplined he is defensively, like if you watch him, if you watch him, he has an aggressiveness, but almost never overcommits. His feet are very active. He's very long. And he can, he can, he's not huge in the chest and the shoulders, but he can guard down low, easily can guard at the perimeter level against twos, threes, and fours, and obviously can take on plenty of fives down low. So late round first, you know, late first round value here with Herb Jones. Defensively, he's there. And then if he commits to really expanding the offensive repertoire, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to like about him here. Something tells me he might slip to the second round on draft night, but I wouldn't let it happen. I think that he's one of the 30 best prospects in this class. With the final pick, first round, 2021 NBA draft, uh, Utah Jazz, uh, who had the best record in the NBA this past season. I've got him taking Trey Murphy out of Virginia. And honestly, I don't think he'll be here at 30 uh, when the, when the real draft unfolds next uh, week. I'm not sure how he ended up available at 30 here. I'm, I'm, I feel like I should have taken him twice already, probably. Just a lot to like. Six foot nine, like legit, like tall guy who is proven over multiple years to be a knockdown three-point shooter. 42% as a freshman at Rice, 37% as a sophomore at Rice, then 43% as a junior at Virginia. So he's a six foot nine reliable shooter, like great catch and shoot guy. He doesn't do much else like in, on the offensive end. Like he's not going to bounce it. He's not going to beat people off the dribble too much. And that's all stuff that can maybe develop someday, but it's, it's not there right now. Now he's mostly, he's mostly, you know, catch it, shoot it, make it. But at six, nine, that's valuable. And especially when he's not a liability on the defensive end of the court, like Matthew Hurt is another shooter with size in this draft who could go in the twenties or the thirties or the forties. We'll see. But the, the difference between, I think Trey Murphy and Matthew Hurt is that one is a liability on defense and the other one probably isn't like Matthew Hurt is going to have trouble guarding his position in the NBA. I think uh, Trey Murphy, like he played for Tony Bennett. He can guard. He fights through screens. He 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 stays in his stance. He um he he is he. I don't know that he's going to be an all defensive guy in the NBA, but he can play. He can he can play on that end of the court. And when you find me somebody who is six nine knockdown shooter, and who can also guard his position, like I I want that guy in my NBA franchise. He goes thirtieth here. I'll be shocked if he's available at thirty. This is somebody I could easily see going into the teens. Um, you know, when the actual draft goes down next week. Two things here. Uh, I want to toss something with you guys, on you guys as we wrap up the pod. But before that, just a quick thought on Murphy. He's, yeah, so his rise is awesome. I was actually going to try and write a pre-draft profile, but, you know, work and travel got in the way, so I never got around to it. But I just love stories like this 
goes to Rice and is now a just no doubt about it he's going to be a first round pick and it's not like he was you know the superstar at Virginia even like that right GP so I love his uh, I love his approach love his stroke yes he's certainly a three and D guy uh, Kyle where do you have Murphy graded in your overall like you know draft big board what is your assessment of our our final pick of this first round mock draft. He will be first round for sure. Like I, like GP said, I would be shocked if he falls this late. He is at number 26 on the CBS Sports Top 100. Um, we will do probably a consensus top 100 ranking uh, here soon between all three of us. And I would imagine he'll probably end up top 20-ish. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the fastest, probably one of the fastest risers. Um, late in this process, for sure. All right, the one Just thing because I, the size and the shooting, all this stuff. For sure. One thing I wanted to, to toss on you guys, and I'll go first with a with, who is a, who's a guy that we didn't take in our mock here that either you know if you had one more pick uh you'd either take or a guy that you think might just be 45 to 60 uh but you just happen to have taken a liking to that people maybe should be aware about that you know if it was up to you maybe not would be, wouldn't be five, ten, fifteen spots lower for me personally. And I understand why he's not going until the second round. He is similar to like the Kai Jones deal. Dayron Sharp out of North Carolina. You know, I said this last year when we previewed the season on the podcast because Carolina fans kind of went went with it. Um, Dayron Sharp was the best big man North Carolina had last year. R- ridiculous. Uh, ridiculous big man at six eleven, and he is amazing. He is an amazing rebounder, and he he always plays hard. He's not going to be some ultra dynamic, you know, center who can step out and shoot. He's not going to be that. But man, similar to almost uh, Namiya Keita out of Utah State, I, I I take a liking to guys who are legitimately big, unlike a some you know, maybe Jalen Dern GP might say, but they're they're big, they do stuff well, and they always play hard. So for me, the one guy I'd really um, identify who we didn't have going in our first round and who won't go in the first round, but could have real second round value if he finds the right spot and is used right, it's Dayron Sharp. GP, you got a guy in particular we didn't hit on that you particularly like in this uh, in the back end of this draft? Maybe Josh Christopher, mm-hmm. you know, out of Arizona State. Had an uneven freshman season to say the least and i i don't want to overstate it but i think his coaching staff hated him is that everybody's impression <laughs> I, mean, I mean i don't, want I don't to know if that's it. an overstatement but he just real quick on this you are right in that he should have been better there's no doubt about it with that unquestionably josh christopher underperformed last season at arizona state yeah and and i don't even mean just like from a points per game shooting percentage perspective i mean like I think Bobby Hurley said something at the end of the season that was a not so thinly veiled shot at Josh Christopher. It was something along the lines of, you know, one of the things I learned this season is that we've got to get back to recruiting to our culture. You know, we got to recruit um, a certain type of player and maybe not just go after I'm paraphrasing here. So this is not a direct quote, but it, the impression was we might've just sold out for talent and it it didn't go well, and and I'll be hesitant to do that again. And and that seemed at the time like a clear shot at, at Josh Christopher. So I'm not saying there aren't concerns, but my God, when he was playing and he was on, he looked like an NBA player. Like I remember very early on at one of the might have been Mohegan Sun. It was he was freaking fantastic at Mohegan Sun. Yes, I'm sitting and I'm sitting at home and I'm watching and I'm like, my God, that's that's great. Everything you had heard about Josh Christopher being a legitimate high level NBA prospect, it was like on display. It was like so easy to see. Like this is the that's a, 
Oh, in transition, pop, 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 you know, oh, off a screen, knocked it down. Like, these are the things NBA players do in college, and he did it. Just didn't do it enough, and then he got a little, you know, injuries. We should point that out. He was hurt to some degree, and then, you know, whatever happened, happened. But, you know, I at the end of the first round, early second, I'd be happy to take a flyer on, an, an, you know, somebody who might be a top 15 talent maybe even a top 10 talent in this draft. You can get him late in the first, early in the second, just see if it works out. I mean, that's ultimately what Denver did once upon a time with Michael Porter Jr. It was for health reasons, but they just said, okay, we're picking here. What else are we going to get here? Let's just take a flyer on this thing and see if it works out. For different reasons, I think you can do the same thing with Josh Christopher at the end of the first round. What about you, Booney? Who do you like? Two guys that immediately stick out to me. Um, who I think will end up going in the first round, who did not go in the first round in our mock draft. One is Sharif Cooper uh, from Auburn, six-foot guard, average 20.2 points per game. Okay, you don't think he's too little? I think he might be too little, but uh, I still think he's going to go in the first round just because, I mean, you watched him. Like the, The passing skills, to me, I think was among the best in college basketball last season. Just the way he can create angles, um, and create offense. Like I definitely think one of the big reasons that he may not go in the first round is because of the size, and also the fact that he shot twenty two point eight percent. That's the other three. thing, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah, just to me, like he was a dynamo, but man, yeah. he did he did take a lot of bad shots. But he yeah. could be. Uh, that's an interesting one, though. I wasn't sure if you were going there. Um, yeah. Who's the other guy? Uh, the other one is Miles McBride, who is my uh, my draft darling this year. Um, out of West Virginia, was a sophomore last season, averaged 15.8 points per game, 4.9 assists per game. Uh, measured really well at the combine. I think they really helped his stock. Six foot one without shoes, was nearly six foot nine uh, with a wingspan. And to me, McBride is a guy who can be a creator in the NBA. He's he's really long. We, we know that playing at West Virginia, he can get after you defensively. Uh, I think the size is, is obviously not going to be a question just because of his length. Um, McBride to me is, is one who could potentially go in the first round who we did not mention. Uh, another one I would throw out, this is a third one. Josh Primo to me is, is an interesting one that I think is probably going to get first round consideration, but did not make our top 30. Um, obviously last season playing at, at Alabama, that, that roster was completely loaded and he did not play that much. I mean, he played, he played quite a bit, um, but wasn't one of the feature points for Alabama and, uh, another guy who I think is, is making a late kind of push to be a first rounder just because uh, the size, the, the scoring ability, he's a really good outside shooter, got pretty good size. And I think the youngest, he is the youngest um, prospect in this draft. So if you're thinking long-term potential, uh, Primo is, uh, is a pretty interesting one for sure. All right. That's 30 picks in the books. How many minutes did we go, dead leg? Well, we are we are cruising well over an hour, but that's good. You know what? That was to be expected. It's it's a beefy, hearty, informative mock podcast episode a week plus before the draft. By the way, Kyle Boone at Kyle double underscore Boone on Twitter. Okay? He goes with the double underscore. That's a risky move there, buddy, but that's if you want to get more of KB, that's where you can find him. And I will have his most recent draft stuff linked in this podcast description. But this was a very fun three-way, wouldn't you agree? Well, there's got to be a better way to put that. No, that's that's the exact way I needed to put that. 
appreciate you uh you guys letting a jag on the pod that's uh okay. mighty kind of far nice. from oh it. a self idea self-labeled jag strong jaw is a strong jaw jag yeah that's right a strong jaw uh, jag i struggle with um minutes on podcast where are you guys at on this and trust me we're, we're we're hanging up soon but um i personally as a as a podcast listener i i want 30 to 40 minutes. Like I, I hop in my car, I knock it all out. I don't like anything much longer than that. But then like the most popular podcast in the world seems to be Joe Rogan. That dude talks for like seven hours straight. So what, what is the, what's the proper, what's the proper way to do this? It's whatever way feels most natural and most comfortable. And I think that we do it just fine. Again, very natural three-way right here. Yeah. It depends. It depends on the content. Like, if I'm listening to a mock draft episode, it's fine if it goes over an hour. Like I listened to No Ling Up uh, recap from this past weekend and it was like two hours and I listened to the whole dang thing. Um, but sometimes I want it in like 30 minutes, you know? So it depends, depends yeah. on my mood. 1.5 speed's also the go-to. Had a couple, ha- have had a couple people say, when I hear you talk in person, it seems like, it seems just way off because I'm always used to hearing your voice at 1.5 speed. Which is the which is, that's how I listen as well. Just, that's that's what Seth Davis says. He listens in one point five. Exactly and when like we went we went to dinner down in North Augusta with Seth one night, and he was like sitting here with you guys like you don't sound right <laughs> to me because you need to speed it up a little bit, talk yeah. a little faster. So um, yeah, perhaps that's the way to do it. Then you can turn an hour into whatever that turns an hour into. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Richard Hurd, legend Dick Hurd. Dick Hurd. Remember Dick? Either one of you remember Dick Hurd? That's that's a hell of a name. Don't say it too fast. Dick Hurd. (laughs) Dick Hurd, I'll have you know, averaged four points per game for the 2005 Baylor Bears that went 9-19 and and finished 236th at Ken Palm. Legend. Legend. Legend status. 2004-05 Baylor, you're saying? That is... Book. When they write the book on how Baylor basketball was built into a national champion, Dick Hurd will be a part of that story. Okay. Tim Bush. Al- Tim Bush also on that roster. Um, uh, also on that roster, roster, Roscoe Biggers. Okay, there we go. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. In the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. These Delta variants, the he's They need to calm down. Calm down. I'm not trying to put a mask back on. How is it covering up that strong jaw with a mask? Is that difficult? I gotta wear two masks just to cover this thing up. I mean, How about that? It's How a burden. That? It's 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 a burden and a blessing, but also Amen. when it comes to mask wearing, I can see how it might be a burden. Please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. We're gonna talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. 
Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.